surprisingly, I don't think we've missed any. The last one was Sibau, wasn't it? It was, and you said these two, Crime of the Century and The Happy Suicide, sort of round out that season, don't they? Yeah, all right, it's Series 3, which is why we're not talking about the chequered flag, which is the start of Series 4. And which I, I did catch up with yesterday, because last Sunday I was at the Headingley Club. Uh, myself and my friend Tim went out for the last day of the Premiership season, and they had the Leeds match live on the TV. And again, in the opening minute, Harry Kane scored. And Tottenham were 1-0 up before the Leeds fans had kind of settled down. And, and you know on TV, when a team has been relegated and they usually focus on like a young crying boy? Yeah. Um, we had a live crying boy in front of us at the club. <laughs> His, oh. his dad and his brother taking him along. He had his leads top off and he was he head in his hands at the end. So I think they brought him a pint to cheer him up or something like that. How old was he? He looked about nine or ten. Right, a pint would sort him out, I would have thought. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Because yeah. they had a very nice Barnsley ale on that day. Yeah, it went very awkward and very quiet. And we thought it was probably best to just leave our drinks, all our belongings, and just go somewhere else. <laughs> well, your go bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. had my go bag, and we went to Arcadia instead. Where, and this was quite good fun, um, I, I keep bumping into him, and I'd, I'd seen him a couple of weeks ago, um, and he was in there having a drink. A friend of ours, Jem Dobbs, who you know, actually, he was in he was in the Crucible on stage with me. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, he was in Gats as well. Okay. When we did that, he did some film school films as well. And uh, I was just catching up with what he's done recently. And he's in Bank of Dave, the Netflix what? film with Rory Bremner and Hugh Bonneville. And he is lucky enough to be in the trailer for Bank of Dave as well as a miserable northerner. <laughs> uh, so please do check it. Please right. do check it out. Is that much of a stretch? <laughs> oh, he plays a miserable Lancastrian rather than a miserable Yorkshireman. Oh, OK. Well, yes. I mean, that does show range, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, he, he said it was just, just really good fun to work on. Oh, great. Great. Well, it's good to hear he's doing so well. Yeah. Anyway, so you did catch up with the chequered flag, which we are not reviewing in this show. So, hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Black and White Television, the review show. Uh, this is the show where we look at the television that flickered across the screens of the UK, the black and white screens of the UK during the late 50s, 1960s and 70s from the Suez Crisis to the three-day week in 1974. And the clothesline we hang it all on is The Saint. And we have been, it seems for ages, looking at Series 3. But we have come to the end of Series 3 and Talking Pictures Television have moved right along and started Series 4. But we are not going to jump the gun. We are going to return to the last two episodes of Series 3. So I'm Guy Morgan. My co-host is David Newell. And Hello. Dave, the crime of the century. Now, the saint is signed up off the books again, this time by Inspector Teal. 
He and Raxel are planning the biggest crime in history. Shh. Interested? I'm fascinated. Where do I come in? I want you to find out what it is. Why me? Because you're the man for the job. Because you're the... Don't say it. Life would be so much more uncomplicated if I were playing Harry Brown instead of Simon Templer. And he has to go underground with a New York accent. Um, yes, a crime of the century. I mean, that's a bold title to have to live up to, the, the crime of the century. Um, but in this, um, it starts off at the Festival Hall in London, where Simon is having a um, relaxing evening. But we always know that Simon very rarely gets the opportunity to have a relaxing evening because usually a young lady will turn up or possibly the police, or he ends up being kidnapped. And in this instance, it's almost a combination of all three. But yes, you're right. He is he is given a job kind of like off the books and is asked to go undercover um, because there appears to be this, this gathering gang of villains who appear to want to commit the crime of the century. Um, they're led by Andre Morel, who we would normally see as the stalwart goodie in things like, well, let's think, um, Plague of the Zombies. Um, but in this, no, he's a dyed-in-the-woods villain. And once he reveals what his plot is, that they are going to break into a, a hugely secure government building and they're going to use a deadly nerve gas to be able to do it, you realise, wait a minute, isn't that the plot for Goldfinger? They're doing the same set. It's in black and white. But in this one, uh, there's a little bit more of an effort put into to disguise the same. He's, he's not simply just going by the name Sebastian Toombs, which is his, his favourite to go by. Um, and he's not even just putting on kind of a weak accent. Um, no, he has to have elaborate makeup done um, by none other than the lovely Alexandra Bastido doing her best Jack Pierce, Westmore's of Hollywood um, kind of makeup. It, it's very subtle and nuanced, I will say that. It just seems to be kind of a light greying of the temples. And he's got and a scar he, on his wrist, doesn't he, I think? Yes, yes, he, uh, uh, he has that. And he is meant to be an expert safe cracker, certainly in your top five safe crackers. And part of this breaking into this secure facility involves safe being cracked. Like I said, it's led by Andre Morel, who has a vicious thug of a right-hand man, um, played by Peter Jeffrey, who's almost played the same part the last time Peter Jeffrey was in the same, where he's um, a vicious kind of right-hand man thug. Peter Jeffrey is the one of all these types of characters, is immediately suspicious and doesn't believe that the saint is the person who he says he is. Something about him worries me. You still suspicious of him? Yes. He was out of his room last night. I put a thread on the door, and when I checked, it was broken. It doesn't really prove anything. Now, this isn't the first time that people have been suspicious of the saint, whether or not he's undercover, because sometimes he's in plain view as Simon Templer. And I think we remember how Julian Glover took a dislike to him in The Lawless Lady. Oh, I can smell these things, Jacques. Templar's up to something, I know. Yes, 
yeah, when when they were robbing a yacht in the Mediterranean. And this won't be the last time that people are suspicious of the saint, even though technically he's not undercover, because in a colour episode called, I believe, The Organisation Man, here is a clip that illustrates that people aren't entirely comfortable with him being on board. There's um, something that Leander and I wanted to say. Allow me one guess about Templar. Yeah. Don't bother. He's a good man. Better than us. We've been with you from the beginning. And you'll stay to the end. Sure, sure. We, uh, we just uh, don't want Templar brought in over our heads. But in this case, Peter Jeffrey constantly voices his suspicions to Andre Morel. He does. He, he goes and, and says, oh, I'm not convinced. I don't think he's who he says he is. This does backtrack a little bit. And I know you mentioned the chequered flag, which we're not going to talk about, but I will give it a little tiny mention here. Um, because in, in the chequered flag, there is one of those weird things which happens when, even though he's undercover as Sebastian Toons, someone recognises him and just says, hey, you're Simon Templer, you're the saint. So there's kind of a duality of existence in which there are people who immediately recognise the saint, usually in the opening setup, just before that music sting at the beginning. And then there are others who you would think, because they're involved in larceny and racketeering, you would think they might be at least a little bit au fait with, with Simon Templer. But no, they don't. They're graying at the temples and they're fooled. <laughs> Indeed. Though, to be fair, in the chequered flag, I think the person who works out who he is is Justine Lord. And she's had dealings with Roger Moore for several episodes. <laughs> bing, bing, bing. Obviously, because the real safecracker has been stopped at mm. London Airport. I don't think it was called Heathrow then. It might. might no, just been. London Airport. He's presumably the same build because I think they basically stripped the real safe cracker down to his shorts and the saint puts on his American suit, which seems to fit mm. perfectly because you can't imagine Roger wearing anything that didn't fit perfectly. Yeah. And then you think the real safe cracker is bound to escape. Yes, that's what normally happens. There's that worry of is the real safe cracker going to get there? But what they do in this instance is that nasty old Peter Jeffrey thinks, you know what, I'm going to bring the safe cracker's girlfriend from New York over here. And as soon as she sees him, the penny will drop and we know that we've got the wrong safe cracker. And there's a very, very tense moment. And then I think it's Carol Cleveland mm -hmm. um, who comes into the room and immediately recognises the same big hug. Um, how's it going? Wow, what have you been up to? And this kind of seals the deal for Andre Morel, who realises that, oh, yeah, Peter Jeff, you've been lying to me, you have. But maybe there's also that fact that um, in order to increase his percentage share in the takings that they're, they're going to get, Andre Morel is planning to murder all the rest of his gang. Which I thought, yeah, if you're involved in the crime of the century... And you're dealing with a well-known multimillionaire, mm. possibly even better known than Simon Templer. Yes. And you're sitting League of Gentlemen style round a huge <laughs> table discussing this heist. And you think, hmm, are we going to be allowed to retire 
with our ill-gotten gains? Yeah. Or is it more likely that this ruthless multimillionaire is actually going to terminate all of us? Particularly given the shenanigans when they test the saint's safe-cracking skills and they handcuff him to a safe that if he doesn't crack it in time, is going to release cyanide gas. Mikey, that's a lot harder than like a written test or an interview <laughs> question such as, if you were a jungle animal, which one would you be? Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't get chat GPT-4 being able to solve that one, would you? <laughs> no. There's a lot of coming and going. They do a lot of practicing in the safe set. Yes, they do. Um, lots of looking at a stopwatch and yelling about, oh, we need to be faster. And so it all seems to run pretty much to the heist timetable. Mm. And then massive double crossing. And then suddenly the saint manages to confront people. And the saint and Carol Cleveland, who is no slouch when it comes to Picking up a gun and pointing it at people, if I remember rightly. No, she throws herself into it with abandon. I mean, with all due respect to Carol Cleveland, when I thought that they might have substituted somebody, I was hoping it was going to be Alexandra Bastido turning up again with an American accent. But Carol Cleveland has form in The Saint and, of course, in The Avengers. Mm. So, you know, she's used to that sort of thing. And Alexandra Bastido hadn't quite been taken on board as a leading character yet. Though she does get another appearance and is just luminous in one of the later colour saints before she does the champions. Yes, so I think it's fair to say that it ends all smiles, really. It does. The theft, by the way, the item that they're stealing is not gold or diamonds, but in this case, it's plates. Um, Not those souvenir plates that you get in Sunday magazines either. These are treasury plates. So the whole idea being that they'd be able to just print as much money as they wanted. So I'm slightly puzzled why the evil multimillionaire mastermind, being so rich, why he needs to print his own money. Uh, I don't know. Maybe as Noah Cross, John Houston's character in Chinatown, is asked you know, by Jack Nicholson, you know, what is it you hope to gain? What is it you hope to buy? that you haven't already bought. And it just says, the future, Mr. Giddies, the future. Um, so so maybe Andreas has this kind of like evil plan to to flood the country with fake banknotes. We don't know. Maybe it's a bit like Private Schultz by Jack Pullman. I don't know. Possibly he's going to buy a department store, change his name to Horatio Kane, and have a nuclear bomb fitted underneath the foyer of said department store because that's exactly what Andre Morel's character does a year later in Death at Bargain Prices in The Avengers. Oh, wow. He's got two Avengers points, both with death in the title. Right, okay. And um, this is his only saint, in spite of being in nearly every other ITC show. It's uh, (laughs) 138 credits. He has appearances in Doctor Who, Danger Man, The Human Jungle, of which more later, actually, and was Professor Quatermass in the TV version of Quatermass in the Pit from 1958. And sometimes he played goodies. He did. He apparently been mates with David Lean. David Lean, a life in pictures. He would frequently go on holiday with him and, and there's a lovely exchange of letters. Oh, OK. Um, right. between, between the two of them. 
That, that's always good to know. Now, one of the things that, that the whole plot hinges on is this nerve gas. Mm, yeah. And the only person uh, who knows how to make the nerve gas is Sarah Lawson's character. and But she just makes it a bit weaker. And so... Yes, yes. So it's, it's not as deadly. But It's a bit like Coke, Diet Coke. <laughs> yes. It's sort of, oh, you just wake up feeling, oh, I got this slight headache. <laughs> and she's doing it not for the money, but because they've kidnapped her brother and are going to rough him up. I wasn't even sure whether he was in on it. It's a strange script by Terry Nation. There's a lot of action not much character really um, now there's we've got a car chase um for those of you who've always wanted to see an alpine sunbeam and a ford zephyr go head to head we get the opportunity to see that uh, because as a um, going undercover person we can't have simon driving around in his signature white volvo because that would be too much of a giveaway in fact we aren't going to see the white volvo again in series three because it oh, doesn't show up in the shop. next one, does it? Because he's yeah. in America. He's too tight to have it shipped over. And besides, things happen to that, which we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. Anyway, Sarah Lawson, one Avengers point from the Mrs. Peel days, plenty of ITC shows, a few single plays, probably best known for playing the governess in 12 episodes of Within These Walls. Oh, right, yeah. <clears throat> but she was, of course, married to Patrick Allen. Also with Avengers points, there's a few in that family. And they both starred with William Lucas, two points, in Night of the Big Heat, along with recent and next episode Saint Alumni, Percy Herbert and Jane Merrow. So, yeah, she, she did a couple of Hammer films, didn't she? She was in um, Devil Rides Out as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Night of the Big Heat was a Hammer film. Is um, it one of those amicus ones? Or Algo Amalgamated. I'm not entirely sure. It looked... Or Little. <laughs> yeah, I think it probably was. It had Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in it. And I think the creatures that were invading were kind of glowing bricks, if I remember rightly. Yeah, because it's Island of Terror, where it just looks like a doormat. <laughs> but in Night of the Big Heat... Apparently shot in the winter. So <laughs> yes, everyone... everyone's meant to sweat in it, isn't there? Everyone's meant to be in their in their shirt sleeves with big stains under their armpits. And uh, yes, trying to act and probably having to suck ice cubes to stop their breath showing <laughs> up. Yes, acting in the nineteen sixties could be a very small world. And in fact, keen talking pictures TV watchers will have spotted a few Saint alumni in the episode of The Human Jungle that's been on recently, called 14 Ghosts. Andre Morel was the rich, crooked mastermind in Crime of the Century, but here he's a judge, kind of got PTSD from the First World War. Avis Landon was one of the gentle ladies. Justine Lord for once didn't play a bad girl. And William Marlowe was in The Death Penalty. So all of them had... Avengers points and it just goes to show what a small world it was in that scrap of the home counties. I mean, that's... You would, you just keep bumping into the same people, I guess. 
or would there be that competition of you know the same people being up for the same roles could be if you weren't available you'd just go to the next one wouldn't you really (laughs) yeah they didn't answer their phone for the fifth (laughs) ring can you just do that thing that you did before Uh, yeah you did that thing in that thing remember that one where you you, you were playing that character who did that thing i'll do it again elsewhere william lucas appeared in uh, Danger Man as Inspector Lestrade in the 60s Sherlock Holmes um, special branch and 26 episodes of The New Adventures of Black Beauty, 11 of Coronation Street and 91 of El Dorado. And the great Peter Jeffrey, a pillar of the screen who could do menacing or comedy and worked a lot with Lindsay Anderson, actually. Mm-hmm. He was the headmaster in If, wasn't he? Yes, yeah. Who gets a bullet between the eyes. That's a spoiler. For those who don't want to know the ending of If, turn off your wireless now. <laughs> Peter Jeffrey had three and a half Avengers points amongst his 169 credits. Adam Adamant, numerous single plays, and this is the second of Two Saints. David Sayre, who played the brother, I think, had one saint but 35 screen credits. Uh, he was married to Jacqueline Chan for a while. I think Jacqueline Chan was in the one with the pearls in wine. Another yeah, it turned up the other week, yes, where we discovered that um, if you put pearls in red wine, um, they do kind of might get dissolved. So don't do that at home. I think we also established that that myth was certainly publicised, if not totally invented by Terry Nation. <laughs> <laughs> Because he used it again in the Avengers, and who knows elsewhere. I haven't studied his oeuvre sufficiently enough. <laughs> David Sayre was also the son of screenwriter Sidney Derrick Salomon and also did a bit of directing. John Forbes Robertson, 73 screen credits, including Half a Point, appearances in Maygrave, Compact, This is the Second of Three Saints, Last Scene in The Man Who Was Lucky, Carol Cleveland, Monty Python, The Lotus Eaters, an incredible career with 80 screen credits, including one Avengers point, and last seen in The Saints, The Sporting Chance, which was timber and Canada, two words that are inseparable, really. (laughs) Alexandra Bastida. It's the the first of two saints, and of course, famous for the champions, codename, 13 episodes, but they're all believed to be lost. And the Aphrodite inheritance. Yes, which isn't lost. Which isn't lost, and uh, it's hugely enjoyable once you get past the first couple of episodes, I think, and when there's more of Alexandra Bastido cropping up, being mysterious and possibly being a goddess, which is fair play, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. She also had a gift of comedy and is much missed. Uh, Cyril Chamberlain, his only saint, but he was in a hat full of carry-on movies. Maggie Wright, uh, this is her third appearance in Series 3. Uh, she has one more saint to come in colour. And she's also in an episode of Return of the Saint as well, I like to say. Oh, right. Which, which one? Collect the set. So does that mean she gets half a point? I don't know. It could be. If you were doing saint points, maybe just a benediction or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. And in the uncredited bottom drawer, Roy Beck, Vic Chapman, Arthur Goodman, Hubert Hill, Philip Johns and Leonard Llewellyn. As we said, script by Terry Nation. 
keen listeners will have realised that at this stage in the Saint TV series, when we're coming up to the, the end of season, end of season hijinks, um, you'll have noticed that the Alan Bennett appearances have dried up. Now He moved on to bigger things. He must have been doing 40 years on, something like that. Probably. He was working away at that. We really must do a programme about Terry Nation. Mm, yeah. Now, the final, the finale of Series 3 is The Happy Suicide. And we're back in New York. Mm. Um, but the saint doesn't attempt an accent because he's so famous, he's been invited onto America's most popular TV entertainment show. Take it away, Dave. Right. Um, you know what's very unusual? The way this episode starts is that the saint is indeed in New York. He is indeed stopping at the Waldorf Astoria. Where else were you going to stop? Um, but he is in New York. He is in the vibrant city of New York. Um, you know, coming out of uh, the Waldorf Astoria, you could go to Broadway. He could go to a host of nightclubs, gambling dens. Um, and he's not. He's in... He's just actually sitting in his hotel room watching the telly in wearing his casuals. You just think that's no way to to treat New York. Um, but you're right. He is. He is watching the TV um, and he is indeed watching the wildly successful TV series, which is hosted by Ziggy Zaglan, played by John Bluthor. And this seems to be very much a, a sort of like Ed Sullivan kind of tv show where you know there's guests come along and he's the genial host oh he loves his fans but what a surprise that we we discover that perhaps off screen he's a bit of a monster he's a bit of an egotist and he's got a team around him which which enables him to uh, save him from himself and one of the deals is that they want the saints on on tv now he is offered five thousand dollars to do this and we know that the saint has appeared on on new york tv before because if you remember i think it was way back in series one he stood in didn't he for a tv journalist who had been slain in this instance he wants nothing to do with it and it's actually a murder which um sees him becoming involved in this case ziggy's brother who seems to be also like the head writer of the TV series is murdered and appears to be murdered by the sensitive but lush uh, artist played by none other than Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland, one of his many appearances on British television before, quite frankly, I don't know what happened to him after <laughs> he left <laughs> these know. shores. No, yeah, goes harder. But only the saint thinks he's murdered because it's been made to look like suicide so he is he's left hanging because a lot of people seem to just go around saying why i don't understand it why but why why did he do it i don't know he had everything to live for shame about paul lewis what made him do it we don't know they're just totally baffled but the police seem to be pretty convinced that it's suicide. Well, the police, headed by Fred Sadoff, um, those of you may remember from the Poseidon adventure as the merciless new owner of the ship, is really lax as a policeman. Maybe he's got other things going on. I don't know. Complex family life, difficulties with his wife. His kids aren't doing well at school. Um, but Simon is allowed to tamper with evidence. 
you're allowed to barge into crime scenes. And I know you've said that there are these situations when it appears as if it's kind of like off the books work. But here, the NYPD don't even appear to have hired him off the books, but seem to actively do nothing for him to conduct his own investigation. They tell him to mind his own business a couple of times, don't yeah. they? Quite unsuccessfully. And also, they <laughs> they don't really seem to have followed up on the forensics. So, CSI New York... Oh at the time yeah gary sinise whoever it may have been yeah <laughs> they said oh he was strangled and then there's a lot of stuff about rope which is on uh, ziggy's boat which matches mm. i'm not entirely sure given the timings of donald sutherland's visit where he knocks paul ziggy's screenwriter uh, scriptwriter mm. brother out and then according to him leaves somebody else is meant to come in with a rope and then set up the suicide thing using the bottom rung of the ladder. And I'm not quite sure how you would actually have time to go and get the rope from the boat, bring it back, because the boat and Paul's place are some distance apart. Yes, they are. And then you have to set all of that up, hoping, presumably, unless you'd come prepared with said rope, hoping presumably that uh, Paul wouldn't actually regain consciousness. So that's a bit of a mystery, which also equals the mystery, and I know I'm being picky about this, but when Jane Merrow phones up uh, Ziggy and his manager and producer and says she's with the saint and they're going to come over and the saint knows who the killer is, mm. they're driving along... And then what happens? Well, um, we see what's best described as a crude stinger prototype. Um, for those of us who are huge fans of police interceptors, um, a stinger is a device which is thrown across a road, which blows out tyres of a car hurtling over it. And they, um, in this instance, it's a similar sort of thing. I know you said before um, that they're in New York, so he hasn't got his precious Volvo with him. He's just got a, a Hertz rental car for the weekend. Those tyres get blown out. And it's this idea of, like, wait a minute, we need to get to find out who the killer is. Now, there are three suspects. It's this entourage that Ziggy has around him because we all know that Donald Sutherland is too gentle a giant to be the real killer. He's a sensitive artist in this episode. And he drinks a lot, so it can't be him. Um, what's quite interesting in this um, guy, our, our profile person, five foot two, five foot three, um, blonde, is already dead mm. because it's Donald Sutherland's sister. And it is implied that she was a huge fan of Ziggy's looking to get into show business and something untoward happened. Oh dear, it's um, not, not one of those showbiz scandals that was covered up, surely. Mm. Well, she was meant to have drowned, but according to Donald Sutherland, she could swim like a dolphin. Mm. So we 
think it's maybe something else. And allegedly what was meant to have happened is that his writer brother, who does bear an uncanny resemblance to a young Liam Neeson, was going to write a book exposing all this. And the thought is maybe that's why he was killed or, or killed, made to look like a, um, a suicide. But as it turns out, maybe these elements weren't going to be in that book after all. So has a murder been committed that really needn't have been done so? There's several alibis that get knocked down, apparently, yes. because maybe Ziggy wasn't typing all night maybe it was just a tape yeah because we, we do see his tape machine don't we yeah mm -hmm. there was the manager and the producer who apparently very much enjoyed annie ross's concert mm. at this club except when that is followed up and annie ross appears as herself a tad unconvincingly, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> is this one of the first times? I mean, we're we're quite used to the, the idea of um, celebrities now being in on the joke and sometimes playing themselves. I mean, Ricky Gervais has made a living from it. You know, the idea of famous people now being in film or TV series where they play a version of themselves, and maybe this is one of those very early times when the you know huge talented jazz singer. Annie Ross um, is asked to play Annie Ross. And, and you're right, she seems a little uncertain of herself. Yes, I think maybe they might have done it in one take and she might have been... <laughs> That's great, Annie. <laughs> my, shot from the back quite a lot, actually. Yes. So I, I just wondered whether they got her to do her dialogue while she was facing away from the camera. Um, I mean, to be fair, she's got other acting credits, so I, I suspect yeah. that she was probably only available for five minutes. But it turns out that the fictional Annie Ross was poorly and didn't go on, and therefore mm. the producer and agent or manager were lying about well, being there. And they were fibbing. So, but the question is, who is it that has the Barry Bucknell DIY skills to knock up a prototype stinger? And how long would that take? I, I mean, it's not easy. For those who have ever attempted, you know, any kind of traffic disabling weaponry at home, uh, you really need some spare time, you know, possibly over a weekend or at least a bank holiday weekend. So you've got that third day to test it out. And yeah, we finally get the reveal of the villain. But yeah, it's it's very ambitious. You know, it's not even like throwing a load of tacks on a road. It doesn't even do that. This is much more kind of elaborate a construct. Yes. I mean, you've got to get the wood. You've got to get the nails. You've yeah. got to hammer them at the right angles. And you've yes. got to pick your spot on the road. Mm. And presumably... Ziggy hasn't noticed that one or both of his right-hand men have disappeared off to the shed. Yes. Yeah. Where are they? Oh, they're busy. <laughs> they're off to see an Annie Ross concert. So there's another big reveal at Ziggy's place, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And uh, a little bit of a punch-up. Um, there is a little bit of a dust-up. Kind of Ziggy realises the error of his ways, and I think he may be looking hopefully to change, although in the closing scenes it's maybe revealed that he hasn't really. Um, so, yes, we've got our three, three different villains, and, yes, it does turn out to be. Is it nasty old William Sylvester in the end? I think they're both in it, to be honest, because 
they're responsible for faking the drowning incident of Donald Sutherland's yes. character's sister and one or both have been involved in faking the suicide. Talking of which, we do end series three on one of your favourite tropes. There is no such thing as a happy suicide. Which is a challenge because you think the title, The Happy Suicide, is quite, that's going to be a downer of a last line and an end of season closure. But they manage it. I do always wonder on TV, is it the same as on stage? If it's your last show that last, you know, that season of a kind of like loads of hijinks and pranks played and things like that. Funny little notes, you know, written on props or props nailed to tables or glued to things. I don't know whether that goes on in TV. I'd like to hope it does. I suspect they probably just carried on making black and white episodes because the end of series three and the beginning of series four were probably scarcely miss a beat in the production schedule, I would say, mm-hmm. which is one of those things on the relentless treadmill production line. That was Elstree. Right, so who's in it? Jane Merrow. He sports quite a decent American accent. Mm-hmm. And she was once in contention to replace Diana Rigg in The Avengers. She has one point, if I remember rightly, from Mission Highly Improbable, that one with the shrinking ray, if you remember. Oh, right, okay. I think she plays the uh, scientist's daughter. It's not a terribly big part. Uh, She's still working with, so far, 91 screen credits. Uh, Her golden age output included appearances in Compact, Moonstrike, The Human Jungle... She played Lorna Doon in nine episodes of the 1963 BBC series. But sadly, all of them have been lost. I can't really remember what Lorna Doon is about. I think it's set in Devon, isn't it, or somewhere? It's about, it's, I think, is it Cornwall? It's about a lot of misery. Mm. Um, and it's about Lorna Doon, who has to go and live with a, I think, a kind of like an adoptive family something's happened to her mum and dad and then she realizes that oh wait a minute maybe this family are involved in smuggling and you know it's always been um popular one bbc did it a few years back it's one where the, there was the you know complaints about mumbled dialogue or poor audio recording all right That's a few years back um after that trevor eve was in a version on itv but yeah it's always been a good one to fall back on yes kind of one of those classics that gets made and remade but it's not the Brontes, it's not... And I can't remember even who was responsible for the original novel. No, it is what it is. Like I said, it is one of those that just have um, sort of like legs. Is it someone... No, it's not someone Blackmore, is it? No. Um, it is R.D. Blackmore. Oh, right. Yeah, it's one of those ones which, you know, crops up. But yeah, it's it's just will kind of like run and run. Jane Merrow will be back in A Colour Saint, and uh, she also had a successful career in the States, including a briefly recurring character in The Six Million Dollar Man. <sighs> now, John Bluthall, I'm going to say Bluthall, I apologise if I've got his name mispronounced, he gets to sink his teeth into, well, let's be honest, a Huey Green impersonation. <laughs> yes, he is a, a heinous TV host. Um, a megalomaniac um, in charge, surrounded by yes people, and is allowed that kind of um, behaviour because of the success of the TV show itself. Yes, of course, we're not implying that Huey Green was any way like that in real life. Heavens no. 
And as mentioned last time, John Blothell's got uh, one point in a career which covered nearly everything, and I think he played a Florentine cab driver earlier on in the series, possibly in Damsel in Distress. William Sylvester, one of those Americans who decorated many UK series, including eight episodes of Emergency Ward 10, and then following his major role in 2001, A Space Oddity, yeah. went back to America and starred in shed loads of TV. Oh, yeah, he was he was kind of like the second banana in The Gemini Man, mm-hmm. where it used to be Ben Murphy, who used to be able to go invisible for 15 minutes a day. Yes, I remember that. He had a belt, didn't he? He had a belt and he had a watch, which digital watch, which told him how long of his 15 minutes he had. How um, could he read that. his digital watch when he was invisible? Right. These are the kind of questions, Guy, which a lot of our listeners aren't really concerned about because it's <laughs> it's a TV series. Yeah, I suppose because you'd have invisible eyes, wouldn't you? Would you be... Are you, can you see things with invisible eyes? I don't know. Yes, but it wouldn't be much use to anyone if you couldn't see. You'd keep bumping into things, wouldn't you? Yeah, um, that'd be terrible. Maybe that's why you needed an assistant like William Sylvester. I, I would have thought so. And um, maybe a visible guide dog. Um, I, yes. I have no idea. Uh, but yes, it's just when you point it. Oh, he's got that watch. And you sort of think, hmm. How's that work? Yeah. We've only just seen Jerry Stovin, Canadian, no points, but nearly everything else. And uh, he was the CIA agent who met a supernatural demise in Cibao. Yes. So, I mean, he, I mean, that's only the week before last. You would have thought that maybe some viewers would say he looks awfully familiar. That North American guy with the silver fox look, for want of a better description. <laughs> William Dexter. Eight episodes of The Spies and 199 Park Lane, Adam Adamant, Softly Softly, and Zed Cars. 16 episodes as Cardinal Mazarin in The Further Adventures of the Musketeers. He was married to Janine Fay and died in 1974, aged just 47. Now, as we said before, Canadian Donald Sutherland has been in a few things, including a Mrs. Peel Avengers episode. Oh, right, yeah, he's in The Champions as well. He turns up in an episode of The Champions. Yeah, he was, um, I think it was after, because he, he'd gone to, to Radar, hadn't he? He'd gone yeah. to Radar over here in the UK and, and just realised, well, wait a minute, I think I'll, I'll settle down here for a bit. Mm, he's got another saint to come. Yes, appeared in The Champions. And I think there's Kelly's Heroes. Kelly's Heroes, all of a sudden, um, he, he broke out big, you know, through MASH. Mm. Uh, like I said, Kelly's Heroes, Clute, um, all of those kind of 1970, 71 kind of things. All of a sudden, he's he's a big, serious film star. And um, I believe he's still working. <laughs> he is, yes, still going strong. So we salute him. Fred Sadoff, a rare trip this side of the pond. There's nearly all of his 86 credits are in his native America. Mavis Gill... Australian, several ITC shows, single plays, The Troubleshooters and The Human Jungle. Another Australian, Kevin Brennan from Sydney, probably last seen wearing shorts in the set. He has two points, and this is the second of two saints, plus many other credits. And Annie Ross was known as the Scottish Shirley Temple 
but IMDb says she was born in Surrey. Obviously more famous for jazz than acting, so she plays mm -hmm. herself here. But she did have acting credits. So um, in the uncredited archive, uh, Vic Chapman, 14 episodes as Fighter Ranger on The Saint and three and two half points in The Avengers. We've got our old friend Hugh Fulcher. Oh, yeah. Who's in there, who's appeared in The Saint before and um, famously appears in Quatermass and the Pit. Here, miss, what made you say that? Um, as he says, after he's seen a terrifying vision in a London underground station. Oh, yes. <laughs> Max Faulkner, two Avengers points as goon and henchman. <laughs> What's the difference there? I know we've talked about this. Um, before I, I don't know whether there is a definitive answer or is it just like a transatlantic thing it could be yes I think the job description would be fairly difficult I mean it, in an employment tribunal I think the argument about yeah I was you know my job description um, was was as a goon but I found that most of my duties fulfilled those of being a henchman <laughs> And I feel I should have my pay upgraded to fairly represent that. 90 credits, including The Four Just Men and Colditz. And, uh, yeah, Hugh Future, no points, but appeared in Sergeant Cork, Orlando, and is apparently still working, um, as far as I can see. John Ashley Hamilton, who played Joe, was the first black person to appear in a commercial shown on television and in movie theatres in England and Wales. Uh, advertising Tia Maria. He was also the first black person to appear in an American television show playing the part of a black person born in London. And he's also a director and writer. Yay! Leonard Kingston, two points, three Maygrays. He's also a writer. So that was the finale of series three. And there's a lot of them, Dave. If you go back when, when we first started. Actually, when we first started doing this podcasting, we actually started out in black and white, didn't we? It was that long ago. <laughs> what I've got here, the episode list for series three. The Miracle Tea Party. A man's killed in a phone booth at Waterloo Station. That's uh, a nest of spies, which possibly reflects the reality of the Portland spy ring. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. We've got Leader. Uh, in the Bahamas, and if I remember rightly, the saint actually had his car shipped over to the Bahamas. It turned out to be the guy parking the cars. Uh, that was um, the... Yeah, we've got some great titles coming up. Series 4, The Crooked Ring, The Smart Detective, The Persistent Parasites, um, The Spanish Cow. I'm not quite sure what that may involve, but yes, we have, we have plenty to come. Yeah, but, but interestingly, if you look at Series 4... There's only about 12 of them, isn't there, I think? There is. It's, it's kind of like a mini-season. And whether that was, if they're all the same production block, Series 3 and 4, they are syndicated, and then they get the money to make the Saint in colour, and uh, it gets to be networked. Uh, they're not mm. necessarily in prime time. The Abductors, the Smart Detective... The man who could not die. Because that sounds so similar to the man who haunted himself almost. It could be. That looks suspiciously like Patrick Allen. So, yes, Patrick Allen. Who else have we got? A few of the usual suspects. 
just barely looked ahead and you'll be glad to know that the second episode in which is entitled the abductors sees the return of the lovely annette andre which is really good and sergeant le duc robert cordron oh excellent is it set in france by any chance uh we shortly after meeting the saint in a paris club and saying he's being followed brian quells kidnapped in an attempt to lure his brother a professor it doesn't say what they're trying to lure him to do or where to go or something like that i bet it's a secret formula he's working on or something like that yes simon's under suspicion and escaping from the police he hides out with a young woman right which leads me to did you manage to hear that clip that i sent you no i don't think i have no sorry no i think it's from the last episode of season one of the twilight zone oh right okay where a writer played by keenan Wynn, apparently when he's dictating into his tape recorder and describing characters they come to life <gasps> And his wife spots him having a drink with a woman and she goes a bit ballistic. And when he comes up with this explanation about his characters coming to life, she wants him committed. And then he conjures this woman again. And his description... Her name is Mary. She's 30 years old, five feet, six inches tall, Nicely built, blonde hair, fair complexion. A simple, unassuming female, but with that quality of inner loveliness that brings real beauty to a woman. A tender, gentle woman, an understanding woman. Now that description of a woman who is nicely built, blonde, makes me wonder whether actually... We've been wrong for pointing out that the saint has someone who's blonde, five foot six. Um, Seems the cut off. Yeah, that actually, it's an industry standard like Courier Twelve Point. It could well be. You know, you were mentioning before about thugs and henchmen. You know, maybe there's there's kind of like a standard, like a minimum height that you'd have to get to be a thug or a, a henchman or a goon. You know, there'd be kind of like a minimum height. Maybe kind of like there's a London police inspector um, kind of expectation as well. Um, so, yeah, could could well be those. That's why central casting works, I guess. Yeah, but it's just the idea of just how much of a standard thing it is. They have to be five foot six because most of your male leads are going to be taller than that. Um, yes, yeah. And it is the equivalent of black hats and white hats in Westerns. The blonde woman has more of a saintly aura about herself and the dark-haired woman is probably up to no good. As indeed, in The Twilight Zone, the writer's wife is dark-haired, played by Phyllis Kirk, and can be a bit of a harridan when roused. Oh, right, okay. But then the twist is that nearly everyone else, including Rod Serling, is in mm. fact a character conjured up by said writer. Thank <gasps> you. That, you know what? Nowadays, you call that meta. <laughs> yes, it's very postmodern, I would say. <laughs> That's an interesting point. So 
even though it continues to be one of the saint tropes, I would argue that actually it's a much wider industry requirement. Mm. And I wonder whether it's because American audiences would, there are different standards for casting now, but certainly back in the 50s and 60s, whether they just really wouldn't wear anyone who wasn't blonde yeah there would be there would be certain expectations um you would occasionally of course have those people who would break the mold like anne margaret a redhead what get out of here no but she'd look like a dark blonde in black and white wouldn't she yes yeah but even for example in non-live performance shows such as Fireball XL5, which mm-hmm. started its run on Talking Pictures TV. On Talking Pictures, yes. Yeah. Yesterday. And interestingly, though I hadn't realised it, I, because I do remember Fireball XL5, I have to say. And I was thinking, oh, good, it'll be in colour. The first time I've ever seen it in colour, because all the stills are in, in colour. And it's in black and white. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Professor yeah. Maxmatic, Paul Zuni, all of them, black and white, I'm afraid. Yes. Steve Zodiac. <laughs> yeah. John Blovell, again. Yes. <laughs> he's everywhere. He's he's everywhere. I, I did watch it, and I was thinking, hmm, okay. I remember the flying scooters, the blonde female puppet, who Steve Zodiac says, hey, you've forgotten to get me the coffee. And you sort of think, <laughs> she's the doctor. Now, anyone who's lived with a doctor, will know that the response is, press your own bloody button. Absolutely, yes. I would imagine you... A robust response. But even the Venus, the doctor, is implausibly blonde. Mm. Uh, And there are subterraneans. When Stingray becomes the next series, it's basically Fireball XL5 underwater. Uh, It is. Change of hairstyles, though. Change of hairstyles and hair colours. Yes, I th- because that was it actually in colour, wasn't it? That really was in colour. Is is it one of those pub quiz questions? Is it the first TV series that was made and shown in colour in the UK? Or is that an urban myth? It's very interesting. I'm not quite sure when colour broadcasting started. In I think it was... That could have been the Thunderbirds. Um, I don't know if I've ever actually seen Stingray in colour. I'll have to look it up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But it, it's interesting because they they never really got to make more than one series of anything. So there's 39 uh, half-hour episodes of Fireball XL5 in the same way that there are 39 episodes of The Four Just Men. And because that's what was required from the market. Um, and talking of The Four Just Men, I don't know if you've been up to speed with them on Saturday nights. I hadn't realised that Frank Thornton, Captain Peacock, from How okay. You Being Served, was so versatile because he plays an auctioneer twice and it's not the same auctioneer. It's in, they're in different places. He's an Algerian hitman. He's also a French gendarme or a slightly shifty South American diplomat. Oh, he's got range. He certainly has. They did get the burnt cork out for him on the uh, Algerian hitman. 12 episodes. He didn't appear in any Saints, but he had one studio Avengers point and half a point from the new Avengers. Elsewhere, his credits were 69 Are You Being Served 
I had forgotten about the revival, the 12 episode revival, which is Are You Being Served Again? Um, they did. They did bring it back. Um, and he appeared in the feature film version as well from the 70s. Well, you, you couldn't do without him, really. But of course, people of more recent years will have seen him in 135 episodes of Last of the Summer Wine. Um, um, which is only. 5% of the actual number of episodes made within the series. Yes. So it's a, it's a small but telling contribution. Mm. Mm. Yes, I think with that sort of ramble through other parts of uh, the golden age uh, of television, we can safely bring series three of the black and white adventures of The Saint to a close. We can pull shutters down. Because... We will continue with the colour episodes, which are available on ITV Play Again. X. X. I'd like to know whether there's any content difference between the black and white episodes and the colour episodes. Obviously, there's more money. But if you were to turn the colour down on the colour episodes, mm. would you actually notice any difference? That's something to yeah, think about, so. possibly. Unless they were going to deliberately talk about things in colour because one of the reasons why we can continue to do that with the saint is because very few people would have had colour sets mm -hmm. and so effectively it's still rose-tinted black and white television Yay. this has been the review show uh, we have polished off series three of Roger Moore's The Saint and had some digressions about other series also on Talking Pictures and actually talking about the twilight zone which was i think on legend if i remember rightly yes and yeah i think it's on is it fridays uh, saturdays i think and saturday uh, and they're repeating the whole of series one again i think probably because they don't necessarily have the rights to the other four series i'm guy morgan my co-host has been david newell and thank you very much we will be returning with more Black and White Saint nonsense, Series 4, which will include the chequered flag. And I think it's going to be one of those innovations involving motorsport, which apparently the Saint likes almost as much as fishing. We shall return. I thank you. I wish I was a spaceman, the fastest guy alive. I'd fly you around the universe in Fireball XL5. Way out in space together, conquers of the sky. My heart would be a fireball, a fireball. Cause you'd be my meaning.